Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. I told you we'd get back to Genesis. So we're going to take our time and work through the book of Genesis. We've worked through 32 chapters, and uh, I felt like chapter 32 was really, um, it was just an opportune time for this after, uh, of course, Easter Sunday, and we talked about um, the resurrection. We talked about from tragedy to victory, and all that Christ has done for us and accomplished for us and and what his resurrection means and the hope that the resurrection gives us, not just for our future, but the hope that it gives us right now. And so in Genesis chapter 32, um, I know it's been a while since we were in Genesis, but Genesis 32 uh, picks up with Jacob coming home after his years away from home. Remember Jacob um, Jacob received the blessing that rightfully belonged to Esau. But remember, if we go back to the birth of Jacob and Esau, that God made this declaration, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And we always want to ask this question, well, why would God hate Esau? He was a little baby. He never even had, wasn't even out of the womb yet, and God said he hated him. And Paul says... Esau, having done nothing, that the doctrine of election might stand. And so the real question is not why did God hate Esau. The real question really is why did God love Jacob? The real question is why does God love any of us? Because none of us deserve God's love. But God in his grace has given his love to those who do not deserve it. And so we saw Jacob, remember, as, as uh, his father Isaac is getting old and he's going to impart the blessing of the firstborn. And um, Rebekah is there and she tells Jacob as Esau goes hunting to get some food. She says, quick, go get your brother's clothes, put them on. I'm going to go get a goat. I'm going to make the food and you're going to get the blessing that belongs to your brother. And Jacob says, no, but what if my dad finds out? And we see this picture of Jacob coming in the identity of another, clothed in the identity of another to receive the blessing that is not rightfully his. It's a beautiful picture of Christ. It's a picture of us in Christ, that we come to the Father, not in our own identity. We come to the Father in the identity of another, and we receive a blessing that we do not deserve. And so Jacob uh, receives the blessing Esau finds out, and Jacob flees. Jacob has been gone for over 20 years from his home. And now God says, it's time for you to go back home. And Jacob is coming back home, and he is coming back a married man with great possessions, with much wealth. And let's pick up Genesis chapter 32. He's approaching the Jordan, and he gets word that Esau is headed his way with an army of 400 men. 
And Jacob becomes very fearful because remember, Jacob fled from his brother and the, the, the brother's uh, oath was, I will kill him. This is what Esau said, I'm going to kill my brother for what he's done to me. And that's where Jacob left it. Now Jacob's coming back and he's wondering, does my brother still want to kill me? So he creates this elaborate thing where he's sending waves of gifts to Esau and he's fearful, he's afraid. And he camps on the other side of the Jordan. And we're going to pick it up in verse 21. And it says, so the present went on over before him. That's all the animals and the things that he was sending, hoping to appease Esau to appease him in his anger. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. That's an important note. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is what Jacob told the man he wrestled with. So he said to him, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face. And my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore to this day the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. So I want to talk to you today about wrestling with God. We live in a day in a culture uh, that has embraced mass movements. We live in a day in which the culture of the church has embraced not only mass movements of false love, cheap grace, mass consumerism, gimmicky programs to attract those consumers, and a cultural gospel promising too little and permitting too much, and all for the sake of mass appeal. Too many have embraced a holiness that is defined by politically correct rhetoric instead of biblically-based truth. So the church has waged this war of compromise to win the consumer at the expense of the gospel. But winning the consumer and making disciples are two very different things. Do you guys understand that? I mean, we had, we had a really, um, we had a good crowd on Easter Sunday, and that's to be expected oftentimes on Easter Sunday. 
And the reality is, and I've said this before, I'd love this place to be full every Sunday. And I believe you do too, but we want it to be full for the right reasons. And this is going to go to the point of what I want to talk to you about today. So winning the consumer is not winning the culture, and it's not making disciples. Winning the consumer can actually be losing. It's losing because we win the consumer at a cost that is real. It's an increasing cost, and the value of what we are getting is really not there. The true value of what we, what we want or what we say we want is destroyed. So it trades a true gospel for a false gospel, and it pretends that there is no cost in the end. Jesus asked this question, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Well, there is no profit there. Jesus paid a price for us. But to walk with God will cost us. There is a price to be paid to walk with God. We're going to see this in Jacob's life. Jacob paid a price to walk with God. But in the end, Jacob came to understand that the price he paid was well worth it. So, in this day and age, it seems like we've got a lot of people wandering around in the wilderness. We send up these smoke signals from our smoke machines hoping that someone will find us, that some mass of people or some group of people will find us and come to us. But that's, that's not what we're called to. Many people desperately seek to fill their lives with all sorts of things. The church desperately seeks and searches for something that will stem the tide and reverse the curse of decline. People seek to fill their lives with things to entertain, to enrich, and to occupy their time, and then they expect the church to be in step with that philosophy of life. But busy has become mistaken for productive and full has become mistaken for fruitful. Busy and full does not necessarily equate to productive and fruitful. So in our culture today, and we see this in the church, acceptance has become our mantra. But God's not calling us to acceptance. He's calling us to repentance. And success, worldly success, success defined by the world has become our goal, but God is not calling us to worldly success. He's calling us to holiness. He's calling us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And when we consider all this, we realize that what we need is an encounter with God. This is what we just read. Jacob had an encounter with God that changed him forever. So let's look at this. Let's look at our need for an encounter with God. When we say we need an encounter with God, we can also say this, that we need a revival. So let me just talk a bit about revival, but let me quote to you from an article by Tim Keller that I thought was especially helpful 
uh, when we consider this word revival. Quoting Tim Keller, he says, I recently gave a talk on revival and I want to share some thoughts from it. It's difficult to find the right word for what we mean when we talk about revival. Renewal is almost too soft a word and revival has too many dated connotations nowadays. Let me just tell you, revival is not sticking a tent out somewhere and having a week's worth of meetings. That's not the revival we're talking about. And even though some of the definitions and ideas may seem out of date, the older definition of revival is helpful. It refers to a time when the ordinary operation of the Holy Spirit, not signs and wonders, but the conviction of sin, conversion, assurance of salvation, and a sense of the reality of Jesus Christ on the heart, are intensified so that you see growth in the quality of the faith of the people in your church and a great growth in numbers and conversions as well. In a revival, sleepy Christians wake up, nominal Christians get converted, and non-Christians get reached. A sleepy Christian may believe they are a Christian, but they don't have a real sense of God's holiness, their own sin, or the depth of His grace. They may be a moralist or a relativist or living inconsistent lives. Nominal Christians may be going to church, but have never really been convicted of sin or received salvation personally. When sleepy and nominal Christians get revived, attractive and bold in their witness, people who would never have believed before began to get converted. Unquote. That's Tim Keller's description of revival. I think it's a pretty accurate and a pretty good picture of what true revival is. We desperately need revival. Do you believe that, church? You look at our nation, do you believe that we need revival? Do you realize America has become a destination point for missionaries? I mean, the Georgians are here because they got visa trouble, but you know there are people from India and Africa and China who are leaving their home, just like the Georgians left their home in America to go to India to preach the gospel. There are people who are leaving their homes in foreign countries and coming to America to preach the gospel because the great nation of the United States of America has become a destination point for missionaries. When we used to be the major sending point for missionaries all over the world. We need revival. We need revival in the church. We need revival personally. We need it at Christ Fellowship. We need to pray that God would have mercy and grant us an encounter that would bring revival to our lives here and now. We need to pray that God would transform you and he would transform me, that he would transform all of us into instruments of revival for his glory. Revival begins in our own hearts, but revival will not happen until individuals, until individuals personally encounter God in a real and a meaningful way. Church attendance. Full church attendance, great church attendance is not revival. Revival is what happens when you encounter God in a real and a meaningful way. And that encounter changes 
your life. Not, not for a moment, not till the crisis is gone, but it changes your life forever. So let's talk about an encounter with God. And let's understand that an encounter with God is a necessary grace. I believe this. There will come a time in your life as a true believer when you will wrestle with God. I believe God has deemed this absolutely necessary for his children. Like Jacob, in his grace, God always God allows us to wrestle with him and he gives us such encounters to transform us in his great love and form us for his great glory. You need to understand that. When when God encounters you, (laughs) I'm not talking about you bump into him accidentally. I mean, when God says it's time for you to have an encounter with me, God does that because he has great love for you, and he does that because he has great glory planned for himself. You're a part of that glory, but ultimately, it's not about your glory, it's about his glory. But it is absolutely about his love for you. God gave Jacob an encounter because God loved Jacob, and because God had great glory planned. I've got news for you. God has great glory planned still. He loves you, and he has great glory planned for you, and ultimately and mostly for himself. So the point here is not to give you a checklist or a method or a formula for a life-changing encounter with God. That's not what we're here for this morning. There is no way to determine the degree, the intensity, or the duration of such encounters with God. God determines that for each of us. He sets the time, the place, the duration, the intensity, and the depth of each encounter because he knows what he is producing in each of us when he gives us this grace. And I want you to understand when you have an encounter with God, when you wrestle with God, you do so by the grace of God. So the point of this message is not to give you an outline or a pattern for encounters with God. This is not four easy steps to coast through your encounter with God. God, is there some way you can make this easier for me? That's not the point. The point is to understand that God gives us these encounters. God in his grace allows us to wrestle with him because he is doing something great and glorious, and because he loves us. Because he knows what he is producing in us. So the emphasis is that we must have these divine encounters and that we must trust God and trust that he knows the determined end that he is producing in us. Not everyone will have a road to Damascus experience. Remember Paul riding on his donkey and he gets knocked off and he encounters Jesus. Listen, few people have those types of experiences. People have them. But just because Paul had one doesn't mean you're going to have one. Not everyone's going to have an experience like Jacob had. 
Not everyone is going to have an experience like Isaiah had when he saw the Lord and his train filled the temple and he fell as though he were dead. Not everyone's going to have visions like that. Not everyone's going to have dreams like that. Not everyone's going to have experiences like that. But I will promise you this. If you are a child of God, you will have an encounter with God. You will, at some point in time, maybe more than once, wrestle with God. And the point of that encounter is that God loves you and God has a determined end that he is bringing you to. It is for your good. It is in his grace that he does this. I'm saying that God will come to you. He will interrupt and interfere in your life. He will get in your business and take hold of you in order for you to encounter him and take hold of him. God does this because he loves you and wants to mark your life in such a way that you will be ever mindful of him and of your constant need for his graceful blessing in your life. It is the grace of God that will bring you to a personal transforming encounter with him in order to produce in you a conscious humility, a conscious dependence, and a personal and transforming faith. This is so important. This encounter with God must be experienced alone. It must make you conscious of his dealing with your life. It must make known above all things your need for his blessing. And it must result in you receiving his blessing. So we want to look at Jacob. And when Jacob wrestled with God, we want to look at this encounter that changed Jacob's life. And I want to look specifically at these four areas that Jacob was alone That Jacob was conscious of God's dealings. That Jacob realized the value of God's blessing. And Jacob ultimately received that blessing from God. So here's the first thing. Wrestling with God is something we must face alone. We live in this day of mass marketing, mass movements, and mass communication. People are carried along and identified in mass by fads and fashions and celebrities and celebrations of all sorts. We want to dress like, look like, sound like, be like all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons. The reality is this. The only person we should ever want to dress like, be like, well, maybe not dress like, you know. Walking around in sandals and a tunic might not be really good. But we should absolutely want to look like Jesus in our nature and in our character, in our walking and our talking. I mean, if you want to emulate somebody, if you want to be like somebody, don't let it be the hottest and latest, greatest celebrity. Let it be Jesus. But we see this reality in our culture that we have this mass marketing uh, mentality And the encounter with God that we must face, we have to face alone. Not in seclusion or isolation. Don't don't confuse those two things. You're here today, but you may be going through an encounter with God. You may be wrestling with God right now in the midst of this congregation. 
day in, day out with your family, with your friends, in your workplace, with those people that you congregate with and, 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 and live life with every day. You might be around people all the time, but I'm telling you what, the encounter you're going to have with God, the wrestling you, with ha- you have with God is not going to be accomplished. It's not going to achieve its purpose because you're with a big group of people. It's going to be because you have met God alone face to face and you You are wrestling with him alone. This is where Jacob was. He was left alone. He sent all away. He sent them over the brook. And the Bible says, here is Jacob left alone. And the next thing you know, here is a man that begins to wrestle with Jacob. We do not encounter God in this particular way as a part of the crowd, but alone in his presence. And when we wrestle with God, we do so alone. And it is alone in his presence that we are changed. And we're changed forever. The Bible describes God's people in many ways. We're a family. We're a congregation. We're an assembly. We're a body. We're a nation. (laughs) But it also describes us as children, as individuals, as members. There is a corporate aspect and a corporate reality of our faith that is vitally important and must never be diminished or minimized. But there can be no corporate reality, there can be no family, there can be no body without individual members and individual faith. We are a body of believers because you as individuals believe. Our faith is intensely corporate, but just as intensely personal. There is not one without the other. Both are joined into one truth, so both are essential. But I want to focus on, I want to talk to you today about your personal faith, your personal, your alone encounter with God. Because we will never see revival in our churches in our lives, in our families, in our nation, until individuals, until persons have real, personal, meaningful encounters with God. So Jacob's wrestling, his encounter with God had to be faced alone. It could not be faced any other way. And so there are encounters with God that we must ultimately face alone. God works in both arenas, in the corporate and in the personal. He brings about transformation in both. Listen, we're in a corporate setting, and I pray and I hope and I believe that God is working transformation and change in your life. Not because I'm preaching the sermon. He doesn't do it apart from preaching and teaching, but it's not just preaching and teaching. It's not your faithful church attendance. It all works together. I submit to you that God is working and changing you in ways right now that you're not even aware of. God is doing things in your life that you might not even be consciously aware of. God may be doing things in your life that you are consciously aware of right now. If God only worked in our life when we were consciously aware of it, where do you think we would be? (laughs) You wouldn't be where you are right now. So don't ever think God's not ever working just because you're not conscious of it. Conscious or not of what God is doing, he is always working He always is. The Spirit of God in you doesn't sleep. It doesn't slumber. He is working. He is changing. He is conforming you to the image of the Son. So we're not 
we're not saved because we have joined the right group. God brings about transformation in both the corporate and the personal. But we've got to come to this place where our faith becomes intensely personal. We're not saved because we belong to a certain family. We're not saved because God has saved us in a big group. We're saved because God has saved us personally. You are an individual and God knows you individually. God saves you individually to become part of his corporate people. Yes, but he saves you individually. You are an individual and God knows you individually. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. No man is a Christian unless he has faced this matter like Jacob alone. Your salvation must become personal. Your theology must become personal. Your faith, your hope, your love must become personal. Jesus must become personal to you. Children are not saved by faith, by the faith of their parents. Christians are not saved by the faith of their church. You're not saved by the faith of your family or your congregation. You are saved by your own personal faith in Christ that was given to you personally and individually by God. Do you realize that? If you have faith today, you have it because God gave it to you personally and individually. You must come to a place of knowing that your faith is your own, given to you by God alone. You must encounter God alone in a real and a personal way, and you must wrestle with him and be touched by him and transformed by him in a way that changes you forever. You must come away from your encounter knowing that you have been changed by God. You may not know the day or the hour of your encounter and of your transformation, but you must know, hear me church, you must know that you have had an encounter with God and that you have been changed by God. I think I think one of the greatest testimonies anyone can have is to say, you know what? I was raised by faithful parents. I was raised in a faithful church. And I can't tell you exactly the moment I was born again, but I know that I know that I know that I have had an encounter with God and God has changed my life. And I am a new man, a new woman, a new creation because of the grace of God. We have to come to that place. Now, I can tell you, I can tell you the date, the day, almost down to the hour that I made a profession of faith and asked Jesus to save me. I can tell you that. But I've also come to realize that long before I got to that point, God was already working on me. I already knew Jesus was the way. I already knew I had to surrender my life to God. I already knew that if I didn't trust Jesus, I would go to hell. I wasn't raised in church, but I came to believe that. How did that, how did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened, because God worked on me. God 
gave me an encounter. I didn't even realize I had an encounter to the point that I came to a place in my life when I made a profession of faith and I thought that's when it all began. And I realized, no, I knew I was struggling. I knew I was wrestling with God. It was real. That profession of faith, if you want to say it like this, was just the blessing that I came to recognize that God gave me, but he had already encountered me. He had already come to me. He had already laid hold of me and allowed me to lay hold of him to the point that I said, God, I'm not leaving this house tonight until I'm saved. And guess what? He saved me. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? You need to know that you've had an encounter with God and that you have been changed. I don't care whether you know the day, the hour. You, you, I, I don't care about that. But do you know in your heart of hearts that something has happened to you and that you are not the same man or woman or child huh, that you were before? So this encounter is an encounter you must have alone with God. Number two, you must be conscious of being dealt with by God. It's not what Jacob did, but what, what was it, but what was done to Jacob that made the difference. We often think it's what we do that makes the, the difference. It's not what we do that makes the difference. It's what's done to us that makes the difference. It's not what Jacob did. It was what, it's what was done to Jacob. We're not changed by what we have done. We are changed by what God has done to us and for us and in us. Men do not deal with God. God deals with men. God is not someone we say, well, God, just hold on. When I get ready, I'll come to you. Do you realize how many people think that God is up in heaven waiting for them? No. Please destroy that false impression of who God is. Listen, when you become aware that God has laid hold of you, you better lay hold of him and you better not let go until you know you've received the blessing. I'm telling you, that's the truth. And this is exactly what happened to Jacob. The dealings of God are not always pleasant. They're often difficult. Sometimes we actually resent being dealt with by God, but God deals with us to make us aware of him, to make us aware of our true condition, to make us aware of our need of his blessing, of his life, of his salvation. God deals and interferes in our life for our ultimate good. He will not let us go. Instead, he deals with us. God deals with us, not according to our will, but always, always, always according to his will. This is where conflict comes. We try to bargain with God. We wrestle with God. We want it on our terms. And it's never going to be on our terms. It's going to always be on, our, on God's terms. The beautiful thing about prayer is not changing God's mind to conform to our will. The beautiful thing about prayer is that prayer changes us and conforms us to the will of God. Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus himself prayed, not my will, but your will be done, Father. This should not only inform us of how to pray, but what to expect when God is dealing with us. This is why it's important to know that it is ultimately God who is doing the dealing. Yes, he will use people, 
places, situations, circumstances, some by our choosing and some not. He will even use our enemy. He uses the devil, believe it or not. But all that he uses is under his sovereign control. And he does all according to his will for his ultimate plan and purpose. And he does so for our good and for his glory. This is why God deals with us for our good and for his glory. And our response is to be faith, not fear. This is why the scripture teaches us to give thanks for all things, Ephesians 5.20. That's unconditional. Give thanks for all things. And to rejoice always, Philippians 4.4. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Paul says in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. Be anxious, be fearful for nothing. Why? Because we have peace with God. Not because your circumstance is going to work out just the way you want it to, but because God has become our peace. There is no longer a hostile relationship between us and God. This is the peace that passes understanding. Do you want your circumstance to work out? And yes, you do. Do you want all the bumps in the road that you're experiencing right now to be smoothed out? Yes, of course. Pray for those and rightly so. But listen, having a bump-free life, being able to coast down the super highway of life at whatever speed you want, free of bumps and diversions, is not peace with God. Being able to live your life however you want and just knowing that you're going to get to heaven one day and so you get heaven on earth and you get heaven in heaven and when I get to heaven then I'll deal with God but right now just leave me alone God and let me just drive on and do what I want to do on this journey. That's not peace with God. But we often pray as though that's the peace that we want. And oftentimes it is the peace that we want because we don't have a concept of what our true condition was. That we were the enemies of God. That there was a real hostility between God and man. And peace with God is not just living a carefree life. Peace with God is that God is not my enemy anymore. In fact, he's my friend. In fact, He's my father. In fact, I've been adopted into the family and I have not only been released from being his enemy, but I have been adopted and made his child. Listen, that's peace. And what will God do for his children? You tell me. If you can, if you can plumb the depths of what God will do for his children, listen, we know what God will do for his children. God will send his only begotten son to die for his children to redeem them and restore peace. The dealings of God are not always pleasant, but they're always for our good. And God deals with us always according to his will. So we understand these truths that we have reason to give thanks in all things. We have reason to rejoice always. It commands us, the scripture, the scripture commands us this way because we are to know and trust God is dealing with us in his loving grace and that he is ultimately sovereign over all 
things. Did you hear me, church? He's ultimately sovereign over all things. God deals with us because we are his children and because he loves us. This is what Hebrew 12, 6 says. If you are children of God, if you're legitimate children, then the father will chasten you because this is what a father does with his children. Not because he hates them, but because he loves them. God deals with us because he loves us. So we must have this encounter alone. We must be conscious that God is dealing with with us. Number three, we must come to value the blessing of God over all things. The blessing of God has come to mean something far less than what Jacob understood it to be. It's not that Jacob fully understood what it was, but Jacob came to a point in his encounter with God while he was wrestling with God. Jacob came to understand the value of God's blessing. The blessing of God in our modern day has come to be almost solely equated with material wealth, physical health, and personal success. While the blessing of God can include those things, those realities can be attained by anyone by any number of ways and do not necessarily reflect God's blessing. When Jacob came to understand the value of God's blessing, he refused to let the man he wrestled with go until he received that blessing. Jacob had finally realized what was at stake in his life. When we look back at Jacob's birth, we can see that Jacob was destined to receive the blessing. Jacob had more than one encounter with God. You read through the account in Genesis and you see that Jacob had a number of encounters with God. Throughout this whole series of this whole process over the whole course of the, of the of his life leading up to this point and though he was destined to receive the blessing it did not change the fact that Jacob was also destined to have an ultimate encounter with God that would radically and forever change his life Jacob wrestled with God because God came to Jacob If you're wrestling with God, it's because God has come to you. God interrupted and interfered in Jacob's life. God had a plan to deal with Jacob and change Jacob and reveal himself to Jacob. God did this so that Jacob would finally come to understand, listen, that the blessing of God was more important than anything of this earth that Jacob could possess. Jacob left his father's home with nothing. He is returning a great and wealthy man with possessions beyond what we can imagine. You wouldn't want all the goats and cattle and camels and donkeys and things that Jacob had. You wouldn't have any place to put them. I mean, he is, he is a rich, a great man coming back. But I want you to think about it. As Jacob wrestled with God, something happened when Jacob when Jacob's understanding was open to the reality of of God's blessing he refused to let go of God until he received the blessing of God this is exactly what God wanted Jacob to see it's what God wanted Jacob to understand it's exactly what God wanted Jacob to do and God gave him the grace to do it Jacob worked all of those years earning wives and herds and servants and possessions. 
And he earned them by the grace of God. Jacob knew this. We can read it in the account. God, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve the mercy you showed me. Jacob was not mistaken in thinking that he had done that on his own. He knew that it was the grace of God that had blessed him so mightily. He knew it was God's grace. But Jacob held on to those things in a way that he did not hold on to God. And so when Jacob wrestled with God alone, something happened. Jacob knew that God was dealing with him. And Jacob came to realize that in the face of all that he had experienced, there was nothing more important. There was nothing more valuable than the blessing of God. Jacob had great possessions and great wealth. He had his wives. He had his, especially his beloved wife, Rachel. He had his children. He had been truly Blessed by God. God had made him rich. God had made him a great man. But Jacob had not been truly changed up until that point. He was still Jacob. He was going back home still fearful just like he was when he left. Many things had changed in Jacob's life. But Jacob had not changed the way God had always purposed and planned to change Jacob. Are you hearing me, church? Jacob came to realize there was a blessing in God that he had to receive, a blessing that would truly change his life forever. He was coming home to the, he was, listen, he was coming home the same man. He was coming home the same man, only older, wealthier, and married with children. But he was still Jacob, and this is why he was still fearful. We see this in Genesis 32, 7, when it says he was greatly afraid and he prays, God, basically he says, God, give me peace with my brother Esau. So here's Jacob alone with God, wrestling with God, and Jacob realizes that there's this blessing that he must have. So he refuses to let go of God until he receives it. Jacob decided that he must at all costs hold on to God. Do you see that, church? I pray that we would come to this place in God to know that there is a blessing we have yet to realize. To come to a place where we would refuse to give in and give up, even when it seems too difficult, too uncomfortable, and too inconvenient. That we would hold on to the God who has taken hold of us and refused to be denied his blessing that will change us forever. This is the place Jacob came to in his life because God refused to leave him alone. Do you see this? God in his grace interrupted and interfered in Jacob's life and in Jacob's plans. God did this to Jacob God did this to Jacob because he loved Jacob, because he had a plan and a purpose for Jacob. So God refused to leave Jacob alone. I've got news. God will not leave you alone because he loves you, because he has a plan and a purpose for you. That should not make us despair. That should make us joyful. That should make us thankful that we have a God who refuses to leave us alone. We have a God that has a plan and a purpose for our lives. 
Pray that God would not leave you alone. Don't pray that God would leave you alone. Pray that God would not leave you alone. Even if you're wishing he would because his dealings are too hard. Trust that God knows and that God has a plan and a blessing that you have not yet realized. But do not be denied his blessing. Like Jacob, hold on to God and do not let God or his blessing go. Here's the fourth thing. We must not only understand that there is a blessing yet to be realized. We need to receive his blessing. So understand that the blessing God wants us to receive comes with a price. It will change us and mark us forever. However, God chooses to encounter us. However, or whenever he chooses for us to wrestle with him. Do you realize that? If you're wrestling with God, it's because God has chosen for you to wrestle with him. God doesn't make himself available to everyone for a wrestling match. There are people out in the world who have no concept of God, who have no care of God, who have no love of God, and God has absolutely left them alone. If you are one of the fortunate ones that God has graced and God says, I will not leave you alone. You will wrestle with me. You don't know it yet. You don't know when. You don't know how. You don't know where. You don't know anything about it, but you will wrestle with me because I will come to you and I will encounter you. If you are one who has had that encounter with God, I pray you count yourself blessed beyond measure because you didn't ordain that. You didn't initiate that. God did that. God came to you and he said, you're going to wrestle with me whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not. And I'm going to give you the grace to lay hold of, to take from me the blessing that I desire to give to you. Understand that when God does that, there is a price because God's intention is that we would be marked by him forever. We talked about some of what the blessing was not Or that our definition of God's blessing falls far too short when it's only defined by material or physical or personal wealth, health, or success. Those are things that we can certainly desire in a healthy way, but they fall far too short when we consider the blessing of God that we have been given in Jesus Christ. The scripture teaches us that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ and that he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. He made us alive though we were dead in sin and he raised us up and set us together in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 and 6. And by grace, he has given us the gift of salvation through faith. Ephesians 2, 8. He has not only made peace with us, but he himself is our peace. Ephesians 2, 14. I could go on and on and on and on and describe to you from the scripture the blessing that God has blessed us with in Christ. 
Jacob was fearful of his brother, so he prayed to God that there would be peace with Esau. Then in the midst of his wrestling with God, Jacob realized the first and most important peace he had to possess was peace with God. This was the blessing of God. Jacob realized he could not live without. God suddenly became more valuable than any and all the possessions he could ever possess. God initiated this encounter as he does all the encounters and wrestlings that we have with him. God initiated this encounter with Jacob because it was God's intention to bless Jacob, to change Jacob, and to change him forever. This change was so radical for Jacob that God gave him a new name. The name Jacob literally means heel grabber. You read the story, Jacob reaches and he grabs the, uh, the heel of, uh, of Esau from his mother's womb. It's a word that implies to supplant. The word supplant means to take the place of another. So the picture the Hebrew paints of Jacob in his given name is one who by deceit takes the place of another. He took what was not rightfully his to take. This was Jacob's name. This was Jacob's legacy. Jacob's been gone for over 20 years and he's still coming back. Jacob, the supplanter, the deceiver. He's still fearful that his brother has not forgotten and rightfully so. Because Jacob knows who he is. He knows what he has done. And he prays to God, God, give me peace with my brother. And instead of answering that prayer only, God did something far greater. God gave Jacob a revelation that he had peace with God. That in spite of his reputation, in spite of his name, in spite of all that was done, God did not rightfully and deservedly hold that against Jacob, but God loved Jacob. And God brought Jacob to a place of peace with God. This is the blessing. This was the blessing of God that Jacob realized that he could not live without. And the change was so radical that God changed Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. Jacob implies supplanter. But God says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. What does Israel mean? Israel means prince with God. He went from being a deceiver to a prince with God. How do you like that? You talk about peace. You talk about a sense of peace. I mean, God didn't just give Jacob a, a, a nice encounter that he would remember for the rest of his life. God marked him in more ways than we can understand. And God marked him in such a way that he changed his name. And he said, Jacob, I don't want you to ever go back to that old identity. I don't want you to ever think that that is who you are because you are a new man with a new name. You were a supplanter. You were a deceiver. You took what was not rightfully yours, but you... You are now, by the grace of God, a prince with God. Jacob realized that he had to change. And Jacob had been this supplanter who took the place of another. But God gave Jacob a new name. And he was no longer the same man. He had given Jacob 
a place in another. God gives us, by his grace, a place in and a place with another. That other's name is Christ. We don't deserve it, but it's given to us by the grace of God. The blessing of God is real peace, real transformation, and true humility. Jacob refused to let go until he received his blessing. God blessed Jacob, and in the process, God marked him, and Jacob would never forget the graceful dealing of God. God took Jacob, and Jacob was changed, and so must we be. The true experience of God always humbles us. Jacob left his encounter with God limping. God touched him on the socket of his hip. You think God really couldn't get away from Jacob? You think Jacob, the human being, was so strong that he held God in place and, would not, and God was not strong enough to get away from Jacob? Do you understand that God came to Jacob, he arranged the wrestling match, and he took hold of Jacob so that Jacob would take hold of him. And it was the grace of God that allowed Jacob to hold on until he received the blessing. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace. He refused to let go until he received his blessing. God blessed Jacob, and in the process, God marked him. And Jacob was changed forever. So this experience humbled Jacob. It left him limping. God touched Jacob. We often ask God for a touch. Have you ever asked God for a touch? God, I just need a touch from you. Oftentimes we pray that, and we don't really understand what we're praying. What we really want is God to just give us, you know, uh, heavenly dust sparkles and make us feel this sense of bliss for a little while. But, but when God touches us, it's, it's, that's not the way it is. Listen, when God touches you, what's going to happen is what happened to Mike McCoy. Your, your hip's going to be displaced. Ask Mike how pleasant that experience was. He's recovering from a hip displacement right now, a broken hip. And man had to give Mike a, a new hip and put that thing back together. Listen, Jacob says, oh, God, I just need a touch from you. I need peace with my brother. God says, hold on, Jacob. I've got, I got something a lot better. And I'm not only going to give you peace with your brother, but I'm going to give you a revelation of the peace that you have with me. And I'm going to touch you in a way that's going to mark you forever. You're going to walk the rest of your life with the limp, as a matter of fact. What if you said, God, I just need a touch from you. And God says, okay, I'll touch you, but you're going to walk with a limp for the rest of your life. No, wait a minute, God. I'm, no, let me think about it. Maybe, maybe I'll just go and pray some more and read my Bible. Maybe I don't want to touch after all. No, listen, I promise you, you want to touch by God. But we just don't really understand what it means when we ask for that oftentimes. It's important for us to realize that when God touches us, it can mean something very different than what we are intending. His touch will mark us and his touch will change us. That's what it's meant to do. It's always for our good, but it may not be without pain. It may come with limping. And we may never 
forget his touch because we're left with this mark. We're left with a limp. This is the good grace of God. For the one who wrestles with God like Jacob, the joint is put out and he is always reminded he is what he is by the grace of God. It is by his grace that we are what we are. It is by his grace that he is dealing with us, that he comes to us so that we may wrestle with him to receive his blessing and be marked and changed for good. God blesses us and he changes us forever. God in his grace gives us his blessing in Christ. There is nothing more valuable than we can receive. God does not give that life-changing blessing apart from an encounter with him. Do you understand that, church? You will no doubt encounter God many times and in many ways. But then there are those encounters with God that will mark you and change you forever. We must experience those, and only God knows when and what and how and why they happen the way they do. But when all is said and done... We shall know that we have been alone with God. We will know that we have been dealt with by God in his love and in his grace. We will have come to realize that there is no greater blessing than the blessing that only God can give us. And if we do not let go, we will by grace receive that blessing. We will be blessed because God came to us and laid hold of us and delivered us And allowed us to lay hold of him. In the blessing of God, we are changed. We are marked. And we will forever know it. So the blessing of God comes through the life of another. And the righteousness of another. Giving us a place with and in another. We have been blessed by God and given a place that is truly our own in Jesus Christ. Not because we earned it. It's our own because Jesus has freely given it to us. He earned it. He did it. It was his work, not ours. It's not what we have done. It's what God has done for us and to us and in us. We didn't earn it, but it was gracefully and freely given to us by the work of Jesus Christ, by the work of another. In Christ, there is blessing yet to be realized. Thankfully, God will interrupt our life. He will interfere in our business and give us an encounter with him that will allow us to wrestle with him. And in our wrestling, he will give us the grace to hold on and not let go and so receive his blessing. So here's my challenge to you, church. I challenge you to seek with all your heart his blessing, to seek the change and the transformation that only he can give, even though it surely means that you will find yourself alone and wrestling with God. I challenge you to seek true peace, true humility, true transformation, true change, and a true sense of your dependence upon God and upon his grace. Ask God to reveal your true need. Seek true repentance and pray for true revival to break out in your heart, in your family, in Christ's fellowship, in God's church in general, in our city, and that it would spread beyond as far as God would will. Don't run from God. Do you hear me? Don't run from God. Wrestle with God. 
And do not let go until you know that you have received his blessing. If we would seek this, we would see revival. If we hold fast, we can have revival beginning in our own hearts and spreading to God's appointed place. So here's my prayer for you. Please stand. And as we pray, ask that God would in his grace grant our prayer. God grant us true repentance. Change us. Interfere and interrupt our lives. Do not let us come into our land unchanged. Do not let us be content with our families, our possessions, or any measure of success we have been able to attain, even with your blessing, even by your grace. Give us a revelation of the blessing that transcends everything else. Open our eyes to see the blessing you have for us in Christ, the blessing you want to give us now, the blessing that will mark us and change us forever. Jacob spent the rest of his life walking lamely with God. Give us the grace to do the same. Touch us and mark us for your glory that we may be a people, that we would be individuals that make up your body, that we would be persons who walk lamely with their God. Give us, Lord, a holy limp that would mark us as a witness for your glory. Do this, we pray. Because we desire your goodness. But above all, God, that we may seek your glory. We pray this prayer, God, in the matchless name, the name that gives us the privilege to come to this throne of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.